0: to the How We Teach podcast. On today's episode, we'll take a look at different approaches to supporting literacy and communication skills across all subject areas in high school. One of the barriers we tend to come up against as secondary teachers is that we don't necessarily receive formal training around literacy support. It can be difficult to figure out how to diagnose and close reading gaps for students when we don't have that background knowledge. We are, after all, subject specialists with degrees in math, history, biology, and so on. That's what makes literacy a great place to start because we can all grow together to reduce barriers for our students while supporting the communication skills in our courses. Joining us today is Chris Bronke, an educator from just outside Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, Chris, and thank you so much for being here. Could you please tell us a bit about your journey as a teacher and your experiences with supporting literacy?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, So this is, I believe, uh, my, oh, I don't know, like 17th, 19th, something like that year in education. The last nine have been spent as an English department chair. So uh, in in that role, at least where I'm located, outside of Chicago, um, I get to teach one class a day, uh, which is always the highlight. And then the rest of my day is full administrative work for the department. So there are 22 English teachers in the department that I get to lead. And uh, when I'm not teaching, I'm full-time administration for them, so primary evaluator, um, I build you know the schedules every year. I need any you know curriculum design or redesign, um, common assessment alignment work, uh, text selections. You know all of those uh, sorts of uh, variables and, and things. Um, prior to coming to this role, I was a full-time English teacher for I think it was eight or nine years, something like that. So, um, you know, seen a, a, a few different versions of literacy because uh, I've been lucky enough to work in four different schools across three different districts. Um, I often get to joke, uh, thankfully, uh, that I was lucky enough to leave each district on my own choosing um, for a variety of different reasons. A lot of them being, you know, not necessarily feeling as if I was in line with where they were taking their, their literacy pr- programs, quite frankly. Right. Um, I think for me, Percy, my love for, for literacy instruction at its core, Um, Started in the second school that I worked in, um, where I found myself taking the lead, redesigning our um, sort of like reading support program. Um, When I took over that position, um, I was was teaching an honors class and some reading support classes. And actually, you know, on uh, day one, the department chair, my boss, gave me the honors curriculum, which was like 14 pages for the freshman honors class. And then he gave me a single page, which was the support class curriculum, and I said, "Oh, this oh. is you know just one page for this year." He's like, "Oh no, this is like our sequence for all four years." And I was like, "Wow, huh? Like we we've got an issue here." Yeah. Um, and so that kind of fueled my passion. So I worked at that district for five years and spent four of those. Uh, Resequencing their their literacy support, um, sort of, and we're going to get into this later. But uh, taking the idea of literacy support out of the English class and building an actual literacy support program, um, and then as a result of that, I was lucky enough to become department chair uh, in the role I'm in now, and uh, you know, stay working through and working on literacy uh, with that. And so, um, outside of the actual school district, uh, I have a variety of educational hats, I guess. Um, I'm the chair of the Conference on English Leadership, which is a national organization dedicated to literacy support for leaders. Um, Previously, I've had a seat on the advisory committee for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, I'm a consultant for Novak Education and um, pretty much just, you know, always nerding out about something educationally. So
0: Wow, that's a lot of varied experience, and it sounds like you've had just so many different perspectives on uh, programming, uh, the admin side, as you said, and and of course the uh, the classroom experience.
1: Yeah, you know, there's never been a dull moment. Um, <laughs> that, that's for sure. And, I, and you know, and I guess I neglected like I'm currently working on my doctorate as well. So right. um, in doing that, I'm I've been lucky enough to be, like, I'm currently doing my internship to, be, to get my certification to become a superintendent. Okay. Um, so in terms of just, like, programmatic work, I've been able to take that up, you know, a couple yeah. of higher levels to see the, the real bird's eye view. Um, also, I uh, starting to work on a dissertation topic, uh, at least starting the, the very, very beginnings of that of uh, standards-based grading. So I'm also, like, an assessment junkie as well.
0: Oh, wow. That's incredible. Thank I love you. it all, the the assessment piece as well. And just as you were saying, we need to sort of honor all of those pathways for the students that the honors kids had was it 14 pages of programming and you know the the other class had one so um I'm sure all of your perspective and experience and roles and all the plates you're spinning give you a a complete picture there
1: (laughs) yeah there it it does and it's and it's been I've been very very lucky um I've had some great mentors and leaders who have trusted me with um projects and and programming that you know really allowed me to to just run with it and find my own passion too.
0: Right and literacy is part of that. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just getting into our um, our second segment then is in your experience do you feel that uh, that literacy support gets confined to the English classroom in high school?
1: Yeah, I think you know, um, speaking holistically, which you know, I certainly have not worked in every district and every you know part of, of the, the the world, uh, but generally speaking, yeah, I think that you know, one of the places where um, literacy work, um, instruction, support, whatever you want to call it. Um, could and and, and needs to progress is getting it out of just the English classroom. I think that's one of the the, the more common mistakes I I will see that, um, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And I think, unfortunately, I've seen both. Um, I've seen districts who are intentionally sort of keeping it in the English department because, well, they're English teachers and they should be doing literacy. Um, and then I've seen districts who just unintentionally aren't even aware that that's just what's happening. Um, and, uh, you know, I think both have unique challenges um, and unique solutions as well. Um, and I think, you know, one of the other issues that I see, and I think, you know, you and I have chatted about this a little bit before, but is one of the dangers in making the English department, the place for literacy, is that it assumes that English teachers are reading teachers or are literacy teachers. Um, And, you know, one of the things I like to say is that those are not synonyms. Uh, The the general, you know, English teacher uh, went to college to learn how to teach English. And by English, we mean novels and plays and poetry, literature, right? Um, And there wasn't a lot of you know, how do you, you know, help a student, you know, with fluency um, or comprehension and those those sorts of things. Um, so, you know, it's a kind of a double-edged sword when you assume that literacy should be in the reading, or I'm sorry, in the English department, um, and then you assume it should be there because English teachers know how to teach reading, uh, you end up with oftentimes, uh, you know, a less than ineffective program.
0: Right. And I think that there's a, a second layer to that um, in that we're assuming that those literacy competencies so uh, comprehension or a grasp of vocabulary are things that we only need in English when we know that they're in all curriculum.
1: Yeah I think that's a great point I I I think in particular the vocabulary one right when we think about um, you know what it takes to be able to read a science textbook um, you know I mean at its core is just vocabulary and and, um, you know there are so many great strategies out there to teach vocab, but that's literacy work. And, you know, a science teacher didn't go to college to learn how to teach literacy. Um, That's not a criticism. You know, I think that's the most important thing that, you know, I would hope comes out of of any of this podcast or any of the work you all are doing, right, is that saying that teacher X didn't go to college to be a reading teacher is not a criticism, nor is a bad thing. It's just a reality. Right. Um, And so then the question is, how are we going to navigate that reality?
0: Right. Yeah, and and we're, we're specialists. We um we have a, a degree in a, a very specialized subject area, and we we program based on that expertise. And yeah, I agree with you. It's not reasonable to expect um, all teachers to be grounded in the research of, of literacy instruction. So I, th- I think it's just you know grabbing those small um, strategies like the vocabulary you mentioned and and seeing if if um it's easy enough to do. Um, on a daily basis for teachers, without feeling overwhelming.
1: Well, and I, I mean, I, I 100% agree with that, right? Because you know, it, we know that there's, you know, when a teacher becomes overwhelmed, they stop doing whatever the the overwhelming thing is. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just life, right? You know, um, that you know, extrapolate that across to any you know part of life, right? If something is overwhelming us we're going to stop doing it. Um, and so, you know, finding that sweet spot of how are we pushing teachers to be trying these new things, but supporting them in ways that makes it so it's not overwhelming. Um, and that's hard because even the literacies themselves are constantly changing. Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. you talked about like, you know, literacy specialists are specialists, but even in that specialty field, it's ever changing, ever growing. Um, and you know, to try and stay on top of that is, is, in and of itself, like we just said, like overwhelming at times.
0: Right. It requires an expert.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, an expert who um, not only has the training to be able to, you know, sort of, you know, be quote an expert, um, but has the time and the space to continue to refine that expertise and share that expertise. Right. Um, You know, we also know that too. If if something doesn't have the right time and space dedicated to it in education, it it goes away. Um, And I think... One of the things that I've—I think—Covid has done this for me as a leader is just made me more accepting of that fact, as opposed to resentful of it. Like, as a leader, if I don't give something time and space, it's going to go away. That's that's a, that's an okay reality to admit.
0: Mm-hmm. And now
1: I've got to do something about that. I've either got to be okay with that, or I've got to find the time and space for it. Um, yeah. And you know, but I think for a while, at least, speak to myself. Like, and I think this goes to like literacy program development. Um, it's easy to think of that paradigm. Of, Uh, as a bad thing um, and therefore blame the teachers for not taking this new initiative on and going with it. So it's a little bit of a a shift that uh, COVID has kind of helped me on.
0: Right, right. Um, So you have had some experience speaking of uh, experts and how we do need that support as classroom teachers. Um, Could you talk a little bit about your district's literacy program, uh, the Literacy Liaisons?
1: Yeah, so this was such a great program. It's morphed into something different now, which is still a very good program. But I think for the sake of sharing here, um, so this, this program, uh, I can't take credit for creating it. Um, I was lucky enough to get to oversee it for about four the years. And essentially, it had two main goals. Uh, goal one was to provide individual teachers uh, from multiple departments one-on-one literacy coaching. So uh, to, to start each school year, we would recruit. Um, our goal was two teachers per uh, department. So two from CTE, two from world languages, two you know every department. And once someone was in this program, they were now called a literacy liaison. Um, and being a liter- literacy liaison was a two-year commitment. And over the course of those two years, you met weekly with your literacy coach uh, to work on whatever it was that you personally were trying to to work through. Um, you know, sometimes it was just better questioning. Um, some amazing work came out of there. Going back to what you were saying earlier about vocabulary instruction in the biology classroom, uh, they were really they realized that that, that biology textbook is I, I I think it's it is some it's something in the in like the upper level like college. Um, like Lexile or like reading right. range, um, but mostly because of vocabulary. And so they spent right. a ton of time with their literacy coach thinking through how to do that. And um, and those projects varied and they changed, right? You know, like once they got, you know, feeling like they were pretty comfortable with, with X or Y, they you know, could pivot. Then the second part of this program, and this is where I think it's really was the the cool part of it. Um, they built the, the literacy coaches uh, who were the ones kind of, you know, running this program, uh, built a two-year literacy curriculum essentially. So once a quarter they would bring together all the liaisons and basically hold like workshops where they would bring in articles and they would have discussions and they would you know ask students or you know students, <laughs> the teachers, the liaisons, you know, to to interact, to share what they were working on. And the hope of that, and this is why it's called literacy liaisons, is by having two members of each department coming to these workshops and talking about literacy. When they would go back to their own disciplines and work within, you know, let's say I'm a biology teacher. I'm hanging out with all these literacy liaisons talking about literacy and I'm learning a ton. And then when I go back to my biology PLC or team meeting and it's it's all biology teachers, I can kind of ripple effect what I'm learning into their work. And so, um, and this thing was in existence for about eight years. So the ripple effect became like massive um, in terms of, you know, how this was infiltrating. And I mean that in a good way. Uh, practice across the discipline. So um, they, they worked tirelessly. The, the, the way that this was structured, the literacy coaches who sort of ran the program were still teaching. So they would, they'd they get released from two or three of their teaching assignments each year. Uh, so the typical coach in this program was teaching typically probably two classes, and then the rest of their day was literacy coaching work, um, you know, developing the curriculum for these workshops and meeting one-on-one with their, uh, with their people. Um, and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, it's morphed into a more uh, just generalized instructional coaching now. Uh, the the liaison concept is, is no longer. Um, but uh, it was it was really, really about as, as innovative and impressive of a literacy initiative I've seen maybe in my career.
0: Wow. And it sounds like um, going back to what you said earlier about you have to make time and space for these things. If we if we're going to really invest in it and expect a positive outcome, So the the release time for the the liaisons to work with the coaches and the quarterly workshops and then I just love what you said about them bringing this all back to department meetings and my team I'm going to do a shout out to my team member Rob who calls that crystallizing the middle so you you get the the department heads or the teachers who are innovating and, and they just spread it out into their their department so that sounds incredible.
1: Yeah. I, I love that phrase. And I, you know, I just thinking through like other ways that they tried to crystallize the middle to, to seal that from your colleague. Um, and I actually didn't even remember this until just right now, what they would often do too, is they would do showcase events. Um, so these were optional, but during the lunch hours about once, I don't know, once every quarter or so they would ask liaisons if they were willing to, you know, give up their lunch period, or honestly, if the liaison didn't want to give their lunch period, I would use my budget to sub them out. Um, and it would be like an open house where like almost like a science fair um, where these liaisons would have like sort of a visual, like, you know, like trifold kind of thing. Um, and they would be able to talk through what they're working on. And the, the point there was to invite, well, the whole school, first of all, um, but to get teachers who maybe weren't able to fully commit to the Lit Liaison program because it was a commitment, right? You had to meet mm-hmm. your coach weekly. You had to go to these quarterly workshops, right? To at least be able to see some of the work that was going on. Um, and it served really nicely as another way to, to ripple out, but it also served as a recruiting tool because a lot of teachers would be like, oh, that sounds good, but I'm, I'm busy. And then you'd kind of you know pull them into this room for five minutes. And they'd be like, whoa, like right. this is great. And then you're like, oh, perfect. You're signing up for next yeah. year? awesome. Like we got it, you know, so they were really, really smart. The literacy coaches were, um, in, in how they, they did that work too.
0: So it sounds like you, you saw firsthand the, the success of the program just with creating a network of, of support and learning and that collaboration piece. Do you, um, recall any of the successes in the classrooms, like from the, the people who participated?
1: Oh yeah. So there, there were, there was a couple that stand out as just like super cool projects. Um, there was this math teacher who, uh, used like her time with her literacy coach to build, uh, basically a year end review. Um, and it was t- totally not like universally designed. It was, it was so great. So she let students pick a chapter. And they could work individually. They could work in small groups. Whatever they wanted to do, and their end goal was that they had to do basically cre- create a problem-based like learning experience for the rest of their class that would help their class review that chapter. Okay. Um, but it couldn't just be like here's the review worksheet. So the one example that like sticks out, and I use this a lot, like when I'm consulting, is um, this one group in this math. Class, I, And I don't know what the concept was, like that's above my pay grade, right? But um, they, whatever concept they're trying to do, the problem that they created was that they they made it a hypothetical. So the, the rest of the students had to pretend as if they were um, concrete surveyors and figure out what would be the right bid that they should try to accept based on how much concrete they would need and how would they figure out how much concrete they would need um, and how would they price that concrete and like, all of these different things. Um, and so like, that was what was happening as a result of this program. Um, wow. I mean, that's, that's the one that like, stands out to me the most. I think another one that was great, uh, a PE teacher whose class was a personal training class um, and actually culminated with a personal training certificate. And um, that, that person built essentially the final project was that the, um, the students got paired up with um, faculty members. Uh, oh, the faculty, like it was optional, right? No, no staff member was made to. <laughs> Right. Um, and, and the students would like, I worked with one of the students, the student like interviewed me about like, what are my preferences for like physical activity? Like, what, what do I like about working out? What do I not like about working out? What is my goal? Like, is my goal to lose weight? Is it just to get in shape? Like, and then built me up a, a, a personalized workout plan. Oh, wow. Um, so a couple of the ones that those, those two will always stick with me. Like until the, <laughs> until the end of my time in education and beyond is just some of the, like the coolest things, but you know, then just littler things too. like. Um, you know, an English teacher who, you know, totally changed, uh, reading guides, you know, to, to kind of get out of the idea of creating teacher dependent readers. Um, you know, basically how, how do we teach students to know what to look for, as opposed to we saying, this is something you should be looking at. So, you know, some of those, like they weren't all this like massively, you know, super cool, you know, change the world sort of, um, things, but, uh, they they were all certainly changing students' learning. Right. That's
0: for sure. I love those examples. Just just the layers and layers of connections that those students were making. I love that your first two examples were so not English, math and phys ed, and <laughs> even what you said about the English class. Though the the students learning to um, use those skills independently on their own, and and that's yeah. something they'll take with them through any curriculum, through any class, and and through life.
1: Yeah, you know, it really was. And I think, you know, we saw a lot of that sort of work where it was just like, how do we, and this is where the discipline specific side of it came into play. So like one of the social studies teachers was working on, um, again, just creating non-teacher dependent readers. Um, but what that means in a social studies class is different than what that means in an English class, and so like even though they had the same goal, they were going about it, you know, like super differently. Um, and at the same time, there was actually one of the choral directors was part of the program and was working on something similar because that choral director was working on how to improve um, students' ability to sight read music, and so that was a literacy that our coaches helped that person with. Uh, and all kind of all three of those, you know, the same thing, like creating non-teacher dependent readers uh, but they looked so you know vastly different
0: right and all that learning all those skills being consolidated when they're applying it from one concept or class to another
1: yeah the the, the transfer was awesome and that was something that had this program continued to grow um, and had we had more space for it and more resources for it that would have been our next step is how do we start to really dive into the data of you know identifying students who have been in classrooms where the teacher was part of this program. And and what does that mean? What did that look like in terms of if they were improving? And then also, like, track that kid into a different discipline, like, it, it would have to be more, you know, meta survey, but like, you know, asking that kid, hey, you know, remember, your biology teacher, you know, showed you like this strategy. Now that you're in your social studies class, and this, this teacher maybe hasn't been through this program yet, were you doing anything to transfer that sort of work? And right. we just never got to that point. Right. Um, I think I'd hire probably a full-time data firm to try and do <laughs> that sort of work anyway, but eventually that was hopefully the goal. Right.
0: Well, it, it sounds like too, in what you just described, you're, you're moving away from uh, a curriculum or a program that's imposed on students and rather the students now are equipped and armed with um, the tools they need to form a partnership with the teacher and, and go, you know, on that journey together.
1: Yeah, I would say that, you know, um, we are lucky to be in a district that um, values professional development, um, obviously, based on this program, but, you know, just even bigger. And as a whole, um, has a staff that believes that um, empowering students to to know how they learn um, and or to figure out how they learn. Um, is as big of a part of our jobs as, you know, what they're learning. Now, I I mean, of course, not every, I'm not saying that we're like the perfect district and that every single teacher cares like that, you know. Um, But as a whole, um, there are a lot of conversations about um, what the students are doing and how they are doing it. Um, And and each passing year, fewer and fewer conversations about what is the teacher doing. Um, And for me, that's really cool to hear.
0: Right, and and the UDL principle of arming the students with that self-regulation and self-differentiation, so that they can make informed decisions for themselves and not be reliant on the teacher or a textbook or something else.
1: Yeah, I mean it's huge. Um, it's you know, it's absolutely you know where it's at. Um, it, you know, it's why we're starting to explore around you know structures like blended learning and, and you know those sorts of things to just you know find more tangible ways to let kids navigate their own journey, I guess, for right. lack of a way to put it.
0: And giving them that choice and that autonomy um, will probably motivate them more. And um, I know that's one of the the big guidelines for uh, the the principles of UDL, um, which gives us a nice segue into the course that you're teaching with Novak Education.
1: Yeah, so I have recently built um, a class for, for Novak Ed um, around literacy. It's called Leaning into Literacy. And um, the course was originally designed and it's going to launch in May. So uh, be on the lookout for this if you're interested. But um, kind of it, it's eight modules and it's fully self-guided. So participants can work at their own pace. Um, each module starts with an, like an introductory video from me kind of give, doing the overview. Here's what's to come. And then in universal design fashion, uh, the rest of the module is a robust uh, series of resources. Um, some of them very theoretical, some of them very practical. Um, some of them, you know, blogs. Some of them podcasts. Some of those, some of those are resources from my own classroom or classrooms that I've worked in, um, and just trying to guide you know or, or create the pathway, like we just talked about, student ownership for teachers to navigate their own you know literacy journey. Um, The first two modules start off as pretty theoretical. So the first one is just about like kind of rethinking literacy, kind of understanding what it is, what it isn't. Um, And then the second one is thinking about comprehension um, and sort of defining what comprehension means and exploring this idea of uh, grade level instruction. Um, you know, and that became a big thing, at least you know, in the United States, with when, when the Common Core state standards came out. And you know, we had these really specific grade level standards. And um, you know, some of the teachers were like, well, but this student can't read at a sixth grade level. And um, so I'm going to give him a fourth grade book. Uh, which, you know, doesn't really, I mean, there, there's, there, there is a time and place for that, but generally speaking, like the, the grade instruction and, and the well-trained literacy educator would say, no, I'm going to give the sixth grade book and I'm going to provide the supports so that that student can access that sixth grade book. So that second module really dives into that, um, very UDL in concept uh, as well. And then like three through seven dive into specific literacies. So there's actual like reading of a page, you know, the written word, um, there's a writing module, so thinking about how we use writing to learn, um, but also how we learn to write and how we can use both of those to help our students' literacies. Um, there's a visual literacy model. I think this is something that um, is starting to get more love, but you know, still, I think, has a void in our educational system, this idea of visual literacy. And then uh, from there, we talk about verbal literacy, um, kind of talking not just to demonstrate meaning, which I think right now is the bigger use of uh, verbal literacy within a classroom. Like you're going to get graded on your presentation you're going to get graded on your discussion, um, but giving students the time and space to use verbal literacy, use talking to actually make and construct meaning, using it as a way to learn. Um, and then the the last practical model is, um, it's about multimodal literacy. So it's kind of tying all of those together. And then we wrap up with sort of just a general um some, some takeaways, uh, some systematic thinking, some of, some of that like programmatic. Uh, we talk a little bit about what like, what is good physical space look like for literacy instruction and uh, some of the more kind of, um, I don't to say admin stuff, but that, the bigger level things. So um, I'm teaching a version of it face-to-face right now uh, where the, the students are going through it self-guided, but we meet once a month to have conversations about what we're learning and uh, I'm having a blast. So I'm, I'm hoping um, if you're out there listening and you're hoping to improve your literacy practice, please consider giving that a look. I,
0: I love I'm I would love to uh, look into that course. Um, the self-guided model is is wonderful. And, and just as you said, it's so um, it's tailored to your own strengths. And um, so you can, you know, navigate through the course um, in a way that's comfortable and going to give you just the right amount of challenge. I love how you said that second module focuses on comprehension because that's really the end goal in every course, and then of course, um being able to um, express that comprehension and provide evidence of that comprehension to the teacher and so I love how the 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 different literacies in the other modules um, build that awareness of the the defining features of that form of um you know, building the, the awareness of, of what to look for, where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are. It just sounds like such a enriching, um, experience.
1: know, yeah, it was, it was really fun to create. Um, you know, I got to uh, work with, you know, colleagues here and there as I asked them if they would contribute a resource to this module or that module and tapped into some, of, you know, my networks for that. Um, actually that, um, I think it ends up in there, that math example that I was talking about um, a little bit ago is one of the examples that's in there. Um, What I really try to do in each module in my goal was to have a participant walk away from each module with something they could do in their class tomorrow or with their staff, um, you know, if they're administrators, you know, I, I brought or tried to bring that lens to it as well as someone who, you know, leads a department. And I think about what strategies do I use to, um, you know, increase my own uh, staff's uh, literacy, both their their pedagogical literacy, but also then their ability to teach literacy. Um, so one thing they could use tomorrow. And then one, I need to know more. Um, so, in there's nothing in the modules where I provided such a robust um, collection of resources on one topic where someone could say, "Oh, perfect! I'm now an expert on um, chunking as a reading strategy." Right? right? You know, the goal would be, oh, "Okay, I'm going to try this chunking activity tomorrow." But this thing is really cool, and I'm going to go do some more research on my own about what chunking is. And so that, that's yeah. the goal, at least as the designer of the right. course. Right? You I make had. it your so, own. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Good. Okay, well, uh, if there was one small thing, just one thing from what we've talked about today that you could suggest as a first step for someone who's sort of just getting used to this idea of literacy competencies in all subject areas, what's something that you feel would be accessible and and easy to to try?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, It's such a great question. And I think you know, there's there's two thoughts that I have right now in terms of how I'd like to answer that. One of them would keep us here for another, like, three hours, <laughs> um, and the other is maybe a little bit more removed from literacy specifically, but I think it, I'll, I'll get to the connection, I think, here in a second. Um, and that is just my, my suggestion, my recommendation would be to truly, really embrace having as clear of an understanding of what your learning goal in that moment actually is. Um, You know, anecdotally, I'll tell this story. Like I'm, you know, I've, I've moved my own class to, you know, full standards-based grading. Um, It's my dissertation topic. So I'm obviously passionate about this idea of what's the standard, what are we working on? Right. Um, But early in my career, I, I, I embraced it, but like for lip service, like, yeah, I, Sure. You know, the administrator is coming in to observe me and I have to have my learning goal on the board. So it's on the board. Hey, kids, remember, like, yes. we're doing this. Yeah. Um, and because in my mind, like, one, I'll be honest, I was I was an arrogant teacher when I was younger. Um, some might still say I am. and You know, I, I, I could own that. Um, but I but I thought, one, I'm really good at this. And two, like, b- because I'm good at it, th- they know what we're doing. Like, why, how would they not know what the goal of this paper is? Right. Um because it was so obvious to me and um boy do I look back and call myself foolish Uh, and you know so I think my 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 biggest suggestion would not like no I don't I'm not saying I'm suggesting you have your learning goals because you know your evaluator wants them or because Danielson says they're you know it's a good thing to do I'm 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 asking teachers to consider or or you know, reconsider. I certainly don't want to assume that, like, no teacher listen, to this has ever thought about their learning goals, right? I I know most of you probably do, but in a different way, Um, in a a way where you, when you, when you know the learning goal, you know what options you have for how students can get to that goal. And I know that sounds obvious, right? Um, But for example, if I'm a science teacher, and I want to do more with literacy. My students are struggling with, with you know, comprehension in the science classroom. Um, and I get to the end of a lab. And you know, tradition has it, at least it did. I, I assume it still does in a science classroom. Um, tradition has it that we would write a lab report, right? Um, but, but why? You know, is my goal that students can produce a lab report or is my goal that students can share the the learning from that lab, whatever the key outcome was, right? That they know how momentum functions, or you know they understand how to calculate, you know, the rate of, you know, um, whatever. Um, and knowing that allows you to then think about literacy and employ UDL strategies in a way that it wouldn't, because if if the goal is not that you are quote writing a lab report. You know, that student could record a podcast to explain how momentum works. Um, that student could honestly write a children's book uh, to demonstrate how, how that works. And so now you start to get into empowering students to own their demonstration of comprehension um, through the, a more robust use of different literacies. Now, that said, there's going to be a time and a place where a student needs to know how to write a lab report. But does that need to be after every lab? You know, probably not. Um, You know, and I would say the same thing to the English teacher, right? When they finish reading um, of Mice and Men, do they need to write a lit analysis paper to demonstrate they understood the book? At at some point in the semester or year, I'd probably want to see the students write a traditional lit analysis paper, but it doesn't have to be after every book. Um, If my goal is that they understand, you know, how, you know, Harper Lee, you know, carried through the the theme of injustice, you know, there's 7,000 ways that students could choose to do that, that would tap into their strengths as learners and their passion as people um, that would, you know, allow the literacy to, to be more authentic to them. So it's a really long winded way of explaining why learning goals matter as much as I think they do now in my career than what I thought they did, you know, 20 years ago.
0: Yes. I, I am so with you on that. And if my boss is listening to this, he's going to be laughing because we have worked so hard on this learning goal thing, and um, what I like to do is try and put the take the learning goal from an overall expectation in the curriculum document and translate it into student friendly language, and have that learning goal, goal always accessible visually somewhere on the board or 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 in a Google Classroom, but also orally that we're referencing it and making it meaningful, um, and the students always have that focus. And as you say, if that's rock solid and it's you know, firm goals from UDL. Um, then we get all the opportunity and possibility with the flexible means, and the teacher has the opportunity to um, model the different ways of of demonstrating the learning for that goal. So I just love that, Chris. That's learning goals. I didn't think of that when I first asked you that question, but I just love that as an answer.
1: Well, and I, you know, what I think it does. You know, I'll speak. You know, specifically to to my my own instruction in the, in the moment until I really started, well, until I switched to standards-based grading, where I had really, really clear goals, um, and, and not, you know, the 117 state standards, but, you know, like my class for a semester has like 10 goals. Um, until I really had that great grasp of those 10 things, I never even realized the, all of the different pedagogical approaches that were available to me. Um, I, I, you know, if I'm being honest, I fell back into the trap of this is what I went through as a high school student and as a college student who studies literature, and this is what we're going to do, as opposed to, no, I need to know if students can do X or Y. Um, and there are, you know, hundreds of ways at times, and sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's only one way to, you know, to write a little lit analysis paper, you have to sit down and write a lit analysis paper. Right. And that's okay. (laughs) But, you know, again, when it comes to the flexible means, you know, does it have to be on the same book? Uh, Does it have to be about the same part of that, you know, uh, literature, you know, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, my progression with learning goals wasn't from, like, complete like just doing it because I was supposed to, to where I'm at now, there was a a moment in the middle where I was very much starting to embrace learning goals for what you were talking about, that um, I was having the students write the learning goals in their own language. And they were creating their own rubrics and like those sorts of things. And I still do all of that. And I loved that, but it really wasn't until what I saw what they could do for all of the different ways that I could as a teacher Teach stuff and/or get students to learn stuff that I really said. Okay, now I'm a hundred percent in on this, and I couldn't fathom doing anything else. And anytime I work with a teacher, the first thing we listen, we talk about is what what what's our goal?
0: Right, right. Giving giving that purpose and that focus, and and that's where all that other stuff comes into if if um if we're modeling the different ways that that goal can be achieved or expressed. The students are learning about themselves and and learning what works for them and what doesn't. And and just that knowledge, that self-knowledge is so valuable for them as they make choices for their own learning path, again, in any subject.
1: Well, and it and it, it brings to light, I think, or it can uh, bring to light what literacy interventions are needed better as well. Um, that, you know, I, I can start to better understand if the students issue comprehending is because of background knowledge or because of vocabulary and maybe it's both maybe the vocabulary is, is specific to needing a background knowledge or maybe it's just big words that the kid doesn't know right yeah you know and we can work on that but not every kid struggles because of that not every kid struggles because of background knowledge right if you have 28 kids in your class to make an assumption that the one worksheet to provide the background knowledge for that text is, is so flawed because you should probably have 28 because they have 28 backgrounds. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, to, to make those sorts of assumptions, which again, I've been as guilty of as anyone. Right. So like, I don't want to sit here and, you know, make it sound as if like I'm I'm perfect to have this all figured out. And, um, and that every day is, you know, students just sitting there dutifully for hours, you know, immersed (laughs) in learning because they love it so much because of the stuff I've built. Um, but I think it does change things. You know, I, I often, I'm, I'm a writing instructor, first and foremost, personally. Um, that's where my, my passion lies. Um, and I often say that um, I've stopped doing whole class writing instruction because 28 writers are going to be at 28 different places and one instructional model doesn't work for anyone, uh, let alone everyone. And so um, right. I really, I've been teaching a writing seminar for about a year and a half now um, and have not done a whole class unit or a whole class um, lesson yet. Um, I just spend my time talking with kids about what they're writing and looking at the writing and asking questions. So just as an example,
0: that's amazing. And they probably, because they're, they're getting that differentiated approach or that one-to-one approach feel better when you leave them to talk to the next student and feel, um, more comfortable being independent because you, you've tailored it so much to them.
1: I'd like to hope so. Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, it's a record-keeping nightmare at times. <laughs> um, I although I could do an entire podcast about all the lessons I've learned <laughs> in, in that too. Um, but I think you know, at the end of the day, you know, one of the teachers that I work with, you know, kind of said, "Well, you know, don't don't you think I'm trying to think exactly how this teacher phrased it? Like, you know, don't you think you're going to have less of a sense of community if you know you're not doing things, you know, together?" And, and um, I said, "Actually, we have more of a sense because." I know each kid a hundred times better and the students have the time and space going back to, you know, that, that phrase from earlier, um, to just interact naturally with one another. Like when Mm -hmm. I'm conferring with student A, you know, students B and C can be chatting about writing or not chatting about writing. And in that moment, that's okay. Sometimes (laughs) like, um, you know, the, the superintendent that I get to work for, um, really great, great superintendent, um, His first message to our district when he came here, well, not his first message, but one of his first messages, um, was, you know what, I'm okay as your superintendent with us getting rid of bell-to-bell teaching. I'm not okay with us getting rid of bell-to-bell caring. And that has stuck with me and will, you know, for forever. Um, we, we don't have to be literally instructing for 50 consecutive minutes, right? But yeah, we do have to be yeah. showing kids we care about them for 50 consecutive minutes or however long your period is, right? So yeah. um, th- this sort of instruction has allowed me to do that. And I think um, students, I-, I think they've enjoyed it. You know, they- they've, they've uh, seen that it- it's, um, I- I'll put it this way. What, what they say most often is it feels a lot less like school. And quite frankly, I think that's a darn good thing. <laughs>
0: That's lovely. Well, it sounds like you, you've built relationships and trust with them, which, you know, sometimes gets us to the, the content, but is, you know, such an important part of the, the whole picture for students and for the student experience.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. I know how busy you are.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm I'm happy to be here. If I could just give a, a quick shout out, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, uh, my Twitter account is just at Mr. Bronchi, so my last name uh, and, and Mr. in front of it. So uh, feel free to follow along. And if, if you've listened and liked anything you heard or have any questions, you can catch me there. And I'm happy to, to chat.
0: Thanks again, Chris. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. That's the end of our show. Thank you for listening. And I hope you'll join us for episode two when I sit down with Cindy Waite and Amber Clark from the Hastings and Prince Edward District School Board to talk about how speech and language development can affect how students access content knowledge across the subject areas.